Earth to God, we need you now. If we ever needed you, God, it's now. We're living in unusually difficult times. As you know, we have a pandemic. People are scared. Nobody, of course, wants to die. To, to control that, we executed an economic shutdown. I'm convinced that over half the people in this church have been negatively impacted. They've lost their jobs or had their hours cut or their businesses been reduced. 
we have social unrest. Portland kind of leads the news in, across the country. I've talked to some people who think that Portland will never come back. I'm talking about the city and this all in an election year. Although no president, senator, congressional leader, governor, mayor, business leader, or pastor has been trained to lead through times like these, in order to be successful in leading through uncertain times, a leader must provide four things. First, they must provide clarity. People are crying out today for certainty, but no leader can give them certainty. The best we can do is the next best thing, clarity. As a pastor, I can tell you with clarity that God is sovereign. He is bigger than all that we're going through, and he will see us through. Second, a leader must present choices. We must present choices of different paths that will come to different outcomes. Third thing a leader must provide is give hope. People today are afraid. They're stressed. The hope we offer is Jesus Christ. The final thing leaders must provide is display humanity. Leaders have to show people that they understand the suffering they're going through. They have to show their humanity, their compassion. People will follow leaders if they know they care about them. Today, I want to zero in on two of these elements that are needed. Present choices and give hope. Every day we have a choice, and every day we decide where we're going to put our hope. Here's the main point I want to make today. We have a choice to put our hope in God or put our hope in ourselves. There are two parts to this. When we put our hope in ourselves, that's called a nasty three-letter word. Anybody want to guess what the word is? Sin. There we go. In my discipleship group uh, this week, uh, we were going through the lesson, and one of the people said he was frustrated. He says the title is nasty three-letter word, but they never told him what the word was. When we put our hope in ourselves, we sin. We don't like to talk about it. We prefer to use words like, I made a mistake, or I made an error in judgment, or I did something stupid. But God calls it sin. I have a sin nature. So do you. Under the right circumstances, you will do the wrong thing. You don't want to. You'll try not to. But you will. Why? You have a sin nature. Whether you're single, divorced, married, or widowed, a parent or a child, a teenager or in your 90s, a Christian or not, you have a sin nature. You were born with it. We all were. Our parents didn't teach us how to have temper tantrums. We just knew. No, no one showed us how to steal a cookie from a sibling. We just knew how to do that. We never attended a class in pouting or passing the blame, but we knew how to do both before we were out of our diapers. Each of us entered the world with a sin nature. 
God entered the world to take it away, but it would come at great cost. Here's what the angel said to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her, remember, he assumed that she had been unfaithful. How else would she get pregnant? Is from the Holy Spirit. God says that's how it happened. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What did Jesus come to do? To save us from our sins. To save us from putting our hope in ourselves. What really complicates life? Sin. To sin is to turn to anyone or anything for what only God can give. To turn to a hard body or to a Harvard degree for significance. To turn to a bottle of scotch or a night of sex for pain management. When we ask for anything on earth to do heaven's job, we sin. Calculate the time we spend undoing the damage of yesterday's sin, fighting a bad habit, regretting poor choices. How much energy do you expend each day repairing the damage of yesterday's decisions? Am I overstating my case when I say life is complicated today because we sinned yesterday? People who have gone through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous say, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. We have to do the same. We admit that we are powerless over sin. The fourth step in the 12-step program reads, we make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We take a hard look at the sin in our lives and bring it out of the darkness into the light. We admit, I have a problem with anger. I have a problem with drugs. I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with pornography. I have a problem with pride. I have a problem with gossip. I have a problem with greed. I have a problem with overeating or whatever. To give you an example of how we put our hope in ourselves rather than in God, turn to Jeremiah 16. For 45 years, Jeremiah prophesied to the people of Judah, the two southern tribes of Israel who lived in and around Jerusalem. He presented them with a choice, turn back to God and stay in the land and experience God's blessing, or turn away from God and worship false idols and be taken into captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, told Jehoiakim, last week we met Jehoiakim, that was his father, Jehoiakim became the next king. Nebuchadnezzar told him that he could remain as king in Judah, but the people of Judah would have to pay him taxes. They would have to do whatever he said, and they were not allowed to have a standing army. Jehoiakim thought, wait a minute, we're God's people. He can't boss us around like that. I've had enough of this. So he decided to raise an army, and he was going to declare war against Nebuchadnezzar. It would be like Kate Brown going up against the federal government. 
It would be like Oregon declaring war on the other 49 states. It wouldn't go well. So Jeremiah goes to see Jehoiakim and says, Jehoiakim, are you crazy? We're under God's judgment for drifting from God. You can't win this war. You're going up against God. Not to mention against common sense. Jehoiakim says, get out of my way, Jeremiah. We're going to do this my way. Well, Jehoiakim barely gets the war started, and Nebuchadnezzar marches right into Jerusalem, puts Jehoiakim in chains, and puts a guy named Zedekiah on the throne. I mean, it took about a minute. There was just no way they could win. So Zedekiah becomes the king. Jeremiah goes to him and says, listen to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't do anything stupid. You have a choice. Bring the nation back to repentance, back to God, or continue to lead the nation away from God into idolatry, and then you will go into captivity in Babylon. Zedekiah stays cool for a few years, although he continues to lead the nation away from God toward idolatry. Then he thinks to himself, wait, we're God's people. I think we can take on Nebuchadnezzar. He starts to raise an army again. He's going to declare war on the superpower Babylon when Jeremiah pays him another visit. Jeremiah says, I know you don't read a lot of history, but this was like just a few weeks ago when we tried this. Don't you remember that we've been through this once? But Zedekiah is going like, but this time we're going to surprise him. I think we can throw Nebuchadnezzar off. We're going to become an independent nation again. Jeremiah says, no, we're not. We're under God's judgment. This is not the time to raise an army. This is the time to lead people back in repentance to God. Zedekiah would not listen to Jeremiah, and history repeated itself. Only this time it was worse. It was 586 B.C. The Babylonians leveled Jerusalem. Many people lost their lives, and many more were taken into captivity to Babylon. At that point, Jeremiah cried out to God and says, God, I don't get it. Why won't these people listen to me? They are crazy. They do the stupidest things. When you put your hope in yourself, like Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, you sin. So let's pick it up in Jeremiah 16. Notice how many times God uses the word sin. God's talking to Jeremiah. When you tell these people all this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. Remember here, uh, their their great-grandfather Manasseh had been a horrible king, but he says, now you folks are worse. See how all of you are following the stubbornness for your evil hearts 
instead of obeying me. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sins because they have defiled my land with the lifeless form of their vile images. You ever noticed idols? There are hardly ever any beautiful idols. There are always vile images because idol, idolatry is related to demonism. And have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Why did Jehoiakim and Zedekiah refuse to listen to Jeremiah and think that they can go to war against Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful ruler in the world? God answers that question. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man when you trust in yourself, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. They put their hope in themselves rather than in God. They sinned. Why do we do that? Why do we do such stupid things that make our lives worse and our world worse? God gives us an answer that begins to explain why our world is in such a mess. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, Jeremiah has several famous quotes. This is one of them. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He uses the word deceitful, not dishonest. There's a difference between deceitful and dishonesty, right? When someone lies to you, you know it. You can tell that they're lying to you. You can pretty quickly figure it out. You can identify a lie. But deceit is more difficult because it's a mixture of truth and lie. And it's a little harder to tell the difference between the truth and the lie. God says the heart is deceitful. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and broke our hearts. Now, when the Bible refers to the heart, it's not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. It's talking about our inner person, the real you, your mind, your will. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. God says your heart and my heart are the most deceitful things on the planet. Not only do our hearts deceive other people, it's worse than that. Our hearts have the potential to deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We lie. This is crazy. We lie to ourselves and then we believe it. God says our deceit is beyond cure. This means you don't ever pray so much that your heart is no longer deceitful. You don't ever give so much that your heart is no longer deceitful. Part of the reasons you have so many problems and part of the reason the world is so messed up is because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Then he throws up his hands and asks the question, who can understand it? 
Who can understand it? You've experienced this. You've made some decisions you've, in the past. And haven't you said, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did we purchase that? What were we thinking borrowing so much money? Why did I move in? Why did I ever trust him? Why did I call her back? <clears throat> My friends all said, don't call her back. I called her back. What was I thinking? Jeremiah says, don't be surprised. This is a permanent condition. You will, if you're not careful, for the rest of your life, look back on decisions you've made and say, what in the world was I thinking? He says it's because the heart is deceitful. This is not a criticism. This is an observation. Which means that all along the way, for the rest of your life, for the rest of my life, there are times when we have to sit down and do a fearless moral inventory. Look at the sin in our lives. Stop blaming others and rationalizing it, but just admit it. Do you know how hard it is for us to admit our sin and take full responsibility for it? I think our national motto is, if it wasn't for blank, I wouldn't have done blank. We love to blame somebody else for what we do. We have a hard time taking responsibility for our sin. Can you imagine what would happen to our country? If every Christian did a fearless moral inventory and confessed their sin to God, we don't have a Christian nation. Our framers purposely planned it so that people <clears throat> would have the freedom to worship whatever religion they chose. There are no Christian nations. There are only Christians. Even if we're not a Christian, there are so many Christ followers in this country can you imagine if we all took responsibility for our sins and confessed them to God? There would be an immediate lift in this country. If we all remember the confession begins with me, not you, we, not they. If we stop pointing the fingers at other people, the other party, and just came clean with our part in making this country more chaotic. There would be an immediate lift in this country. The writer to the Hebrew says, <clears throat> let us throw off everything <coughs> that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When we put our hope in ourselves, we sin. My second point is, when we put our hope in God, we do much better. Things won't be perfect, we won't be problem-free, but we will do much better. God said to Jeremiah, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. If you think you've heard this before, this is also in Psalm 1. 
It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. If you put your hope in God, things go better. Jeremiah says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. People today are looking for hope. You could add in the the United States. You are the hope of our country. The second step in the 12-step process reads, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So people going through the 12-step process, let's say alcohol, say we believe that there's a power greater than us that can restore sanity to our lives. Don't we all need to confess this? We're living in tumultuous times. Don't we all need to admit that God is the only one who can restore us to sanity? The third step in the 12-step program reads, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. If you're not a Christian, this is how you become one. You turn your life and your will over to Christ. You put your hope in Christ. How awesome would it be if 330 million Americans dropped to their knees and said, God, you are our only hope. This one is too big for us. We can't fix this. Only you can. We're putting our hope in you, God. Then maybe we could find it in our hearts to love one another. On March 4th, 1861, Abraham Lincoln stood on the steps of the still uncompleted Capitol in Washington, D.C. to deliver his first inaugural address. There in the shadow of a looming war that would take 600,000 American lives, more than we'd lost in any other war, Lincoln called upon Americans to remember that they were, first of all, brothers. We are not enemies, but friends, he said. We must not be enemies. Now remember, this is just at the beginning of the Civil War. North and the South, there's as much hatred then as there is now. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the course of the Union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Out of his deep trust in Christ, Lincoln believed that if we put our hope in God, we could learn to love one another. Now, maybe you think our country is too far gone and the opposite sides cannot ever love each other. But at least believe this for the church. In the church, we should never let our differences in political viewpoints keep us from loving each other. How long has it been since you've done a full moral inventory in your life and say, God, I take responsibility for the things I've done and I confess them to you. If it's been a while, 
That may explain why things are so chaotic in your life. How long has it been since you said, God, what's going on in our country, what's going on in my family, what's going on at my work, what's going on in my world is too big for me. You are my only hope. When we put our hope in God, we do much better. I want to invite you to pray with me, confess your sins, ask God to forgive you and tell him you're putting your hope in him, not in yourself. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that right now as we pray. Tell him you believe he's the Savior and ask him to come into your life. Father, thank you for the insights you gave to Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This explains a lot of what we're experiencing in our world, in our country, in our city. And Father, we start by confessing our sins. You can't, we can't confess anybody else's. Confess our part. So I want to invite you to do that. You pray. Father, thank you that you can hear each one of us, even though we're all talking to you at the same time, and that you do forgive our sins. We confess that we do not always put our trust in you, but we try to put so much in ourselves. Forgive us. We commit putting our hope in you this week. In Jesus' name. Earth to God, come in God, I know you're there, hearing our prayers, wherever you are, we need you now, send your love down. Take away the pain, your holy name, ask us now. We need your life, we need your love to heal the world you made. Save us now in our darkest hour with your amazing grace. to come.